Good morning, everyone. Hi. Um, so for those of you who don't know, my name is Michael. I'm a member here at City Light, and I'm basically filling in this Sunday for Mike, who's on paternity leave. So uh, yeah, I'll be preaching this sermon. So let's just start off with a little bit of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful day. I thank you that this is the day that you have made, and we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, I just pray that um, as I speak, that you would speak through me, and I pray that your word would go forth powerfully. We thank you, Lord, that when you send your word out, it does not return to you void, but it accomplishes the purpose for which it's been sent. So, Lord, I pray that you would do that today, and uh, we just pray, Lord, that you would change our lives and, and conform us to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so, uh, so I recently went on a trip to Los Angeles, and while I was out there, I had the chance, one of the things I really wanted to do was I wanted to try uh, In-N-Out Burger, and I don't know if any of you have ever tried it, but I've heard a lot of, uh, I've heard a lot of good things about it. You know, people have hyped it up to, you know, pretty, pretty seriously, so normally when that happens, I usually end up trying and then, you know, I end up being underwhelmed. But this time around, it actually lived up to the hype, you know. <laughs> In-N-Out Burger is actually really good. It's better than Shake Shack. It's better than Smash Burger. It's better than Five Guys. We can fight afterwards <laughs> if that's a problem. Um, and it's cheaper than all of them. Um, yeah, so I really enjoyed it. It was, uh, it was one of the best meals that I had. But you know what? The best meal that I had while I was out there it was actually a home-cooked dinner. It was home-cooked uh, Filipino food. Uh, while I was out there, uh, my, my friend's church that I was visiting, they were doing this thing where for three weeks uh, they were canceling all their small groups, and instead families in the church were cooking large meals and inviting the whole church over for dinner. Uh, so I went to a couple of these. I got some free food. It was really, really good. And the cool thing about it was, for me, I didn't know any of these people. I was an outsider coming from, you know, 2,500 miles away. But they treated me like I was part of their family. They treated me like I was just their cousin who was in town for the reunion. And uh, it really ministered to me, and it really blessed me. You know, as I sat there at the table laughing and joking and listening to people singing karaoke in the other room, I was really just struck by... I was struck by the warmth of their home and by the strength of their community. Right now, we're going through a series on community because uh, every, every person, every human being is a part of a community, one or more communities. And generally, we're shaped and formed by the community that we're a part of. And as Christians, our community is what sort of determines what we choose to, to follow and what kind of disciples we become. So last week, we looked at the primary community of discipleship, which is the home and the nuclear family. This week, I'm going to sort of expand upon that a little bit by uh, talking about the community of the church. So today, I want to talk about uh, this, these verses in 1 Timothy, and I want to read another scripture that actually comes earlier in 1 Timothy. So in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says this, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar in the buttress of the truth. So today, I want to talk about how the church is the household of God, 
and how by committing to the household of God, you can receive the freedom of uh, sacrificially loving your church family as well as your biological family. Uh, So we'll do that by looking at three ideas. Commitment, conduct, and connection. That's commitment, conduct, and connection. So let's start with commitment. So a household in a biblical sense is basically a family, right? And generally, families are committed. They're a committed community who's committed to loving one another, caring for one another, and providing for one another, right? Well, in the same way, Paul wrote this letter to Timothy to help him to understand how, uh, how a church community should be committed to one another. And just as families are committed communities, we as Christians should see the church as a community that we're committed to. Now, often when I think of commitment, uh, the first verse that pops into my mind is from Luke, where Jesus says to a man that he met on the road, no one who puts their hands to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And, you know, commitment can conjure up all sorts of other images like chains or handcuffs, or you might even think of skydiving, like, you know, once you jump out of the plane, there's no going back. But what's the underlying theme in all of these thoughts? It's the idea of restriction, right? It's like the idea of losing control or uh, being trapped. And I think the reason why we struggle, if we're honest, I think the reason why we struggle with commitment is because we often see it as a loss of freedom. And hey, this is America, right? That's totally consistent with Western culture. You know, we live in a highly individualistic society where we're taught to do and to be and to become and achieve for ourselves. And the idea of committing to a single person let alone a group of people who don't have the exact same hashtag life goals as us, seems like it would stop us or slow us down and prevent us from doing what we think we need to do in order to be free. But what if I told you that committing to a group of people can make you truly free? It just depends on how you define freedom. Merriam-Webster defines freedom as the absence of necessity, coercion, or constraint in choice or action. And I think functionally, we tend to define freedom as, I do what I want, when I want, how I want. But what does the Bible say about freedom? In John 8, Jesus says this. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Family, the truth is that although you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, God has paid the price for you to receive eternal life with him, and also for you to live the life that you were created to live. And that's what true freedom is all about. So in light of that, why should should we be committed to our church community? Well, the reason we should be committed is because the church is the community that we're a part of as, uh, as Christians. And Jesus committed himself to us so that we could be brought into the household of God. And we were created to love others within the household of God And we're most free when we're loving God and loving others because that's the way we were created to live. So let's talk about loneliness for a minute, right? Loneliness. So some of you are new to the city, and you came here thinking, Philly, Philly, you know, it's the sixth largest city in the U.S. There's got to be some people that I can hang out with and chill with and kick it with, people who are like me and like the things that I like and do the things that I do. Um, And you you may have found people like that, but even despite that, you may still feel lonely because maybe you haven't been able to uh, have some deeper relationships, right? 
Um, and one thing I can tell you, and you've probably figured this out, is that it takes time, right? It takes time to build deeper relationships. Um, but the thing about commitment is that when you're committed to a group of people, that does give you the opportunity to take those relationships from being surface-level relationships and, and sort of put in the time to cultivate them until they become deeper relationships. And then the other important thing, of course, is that it takes some openness and vulnerability. You've got to be willing to share the details of your life and who you are. You know, sort of let people in on uh, the, the person you are. You know, one of the things that made me feel like City Light was a church that I wanted to commit myself to was actually prayer and confession night at uh, City Group. Uh, for anyone who's unaware, uh, prayer and confession is an activity that we do in City Groups uh, where we basically uh, confess our sins to one another and we pray for each other. And you might ask, why on earth would you do that? Well, the reason we do it is because it's commanded in Scripture. So James 5.16, it says this. It says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And I love the second part of this verse. It says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Man, I can't tell you how powerful it is to share your deepest struggles and find out that, one, there are other people going through the exact same thing, and two, there are people that are willing to pray with you, journey with you, walk with you, and even help to carry the burden that you're facing if you're facing a burden. Uh, it's really freeing and it's really powerful. And you know, the cool thing about it is God already knows all about you. You know, one of my favorite songs is Psalms is 130, Psalm 139 that says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. God knows your shortcomings. He knows your failings, yet he loves you. God fully knows you, yet God fully loves you. But in order to experience that truth, we have to be committed both to God and also to his household. Because you see, it's in the household of God that we're able to receive the, the power of the ministry of God's love in action through our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, God shows me that I'm fully loved, fully known, and truly loved when his people see me at my worst and they still choose to love me. That's the kind of love we should be showing each other, but we can only do it when we're committed to them. So the second idea is the idea of conduct. So, so now we're going to get a little bit more practical. And, and that's what this letter to Timothy is all about. Uh, just a little bit of background on Timothy. So, so Timothy was a young pastor, probably in his mid-30s, and he was, uh, he was overseeing a church in the city of Ephesus, which is a, uh, a city that's in modern-day Turkey. And basically, the, the church that he was overseeing was a church that had people of many different ages and uh, all different socioeconomic backgrounds. And Paul was basically writing this letter in order to show Timothy and the church how people should conduct themselves both personally and corporately. Uh, so the scripture that Joshua read earlier basically speaks to some very specific guidelines on how to conduct yourself within the household of God. So when I think about these verses, I'm thinking of them specifically as they pertain to this church. So if you've committed yourself to City Light Church, here are some things that you should, you should be thinking about. 
So verses 1 and 2, they talk about how you should treat someone, uh, whether they be a man or a woman, older or younger. Uh, basically here it's saying, uh, with an older man, you should not rebuke him sharply, but treat him the way you would a father. In the same way, uh, if you're dealing with an older woman, you should treat her the way you would treat your mother. And then again, with younger, with younger folks, whether they be men or women, you should treat them the way you would treat your brother or your sister. The general theme of the first two verses is pretty simple. Treat everyone in the church like they're a part of your family, right? So uh, just a quick story. Uh, so three years ago, uh, I had a situation uh, at work where I got really sick and I had to go to the emergency room. And um, I was in the emergency room for a few hours and my roommate at the time, he, uh, he texted me and he's like, hey, I noticed you didn't come home from work. I'm just checking in on you. I'm wondering like what's going on. And I'm like, hey, man, I just had a little incident. Everything's fine. You know, I'll be home soon. They're about to discharge me. I'm good. He's like, oh, you're in the emergency room? No, no, I'm just, I'm okay. I'm doing fine. And he's like, oh, man, you know, um, I, I was going to take an Uber. I was just going to Uber back home. He's like, no, you can't do that. I'm going to come pick you up. So him and his fiance at the time, they came to the hospital. They picked me up. They got my car, and they took my car back to the apartment they took me to get medicine. They took me to get groceries. They really treated me like I was their brother. And that really blessed me. You know, I could have done these things by myself, but the fact that they chose to do them for me, it really ministered to me, and it really helped me to feel as though they loved me. And, uh, and that, was, that was really powerful. Now, um, I think we all have people in the church that we love and they're like us and we like them and we drop everything for them in the event of an emergency. But would you do that for everyone in the church? Would you do that for a person that you don't like or a person that you don't like hanging out with? Um, let, me, let me just read you a quick, uh, a quick excerpt from a Forbes article that I recently read. So this woman that wrote this article, she said this. She said, I'm pretty sure I once got a job because the person who interviewed me decided that she liked me. Looking back, I couldn't have been the most qualified person to apply for the position. I had never worked in TV, and though I had seven years of journalism experience under my belt, it was at a specialized trade magazine, The American Lawyer. But the producer who hired me, she knew that we would be working very closely together on a four-person team that put together nightly discussion segments with hard on-air deadlines. She knew she wanted to have good chemistry with the person she hired. And this is the way the world works, right? I think most of us have seen this sort of thing happen before, where a person receives a promotion or receives a job, not necessarily because of their qualifications, but more so because the person who hired them likes them and feels as though they can get along with them. That's really common, right? Regardless of the person's faith. But I think as Christians, we have a very unique opportunity to put the love of Christ on display by choosing to love people who are not like us, people who we may not even like as though they are our family. And, that, and, that's, and that's really powerful. Now, verses 3 through 7 address the concept of support for widows. So this is the part, I think this is the part of this passage where when Joshua is reading it, you're probably thinking, what does this have anything to do with anything that we're, you know, that's going on with us here. So let me explain. Um, a widow, of course, is a woman whose husband has died. And in the ancient Greco-Roman world, uh, a, when a woman got married, her family would pay a dowry to her husband. 
And if her husband predeceased her, that dowry would either go to her son or it would go back to her family. And in some cases, the son or the family would mismanage the dowry and they would not they would either not give it to the widow or they would mismanage it, they would squander it. Or in other cases, the dowry was just, too, it was just simply too small for the widow to live on. So here what Paul is saying is that when you're dealing with a widow who is without hope, you, uh, the church should provide for them. Now, of course, I would expand this. Um, in our context today, I would expand upon this to say that regardless of if you're a man or a woman, regardless of if you're young or you're old, married, single, widow, widower, not everyone can afford to live a decent life. Not everyone in the body of Christ, right? You know, we talked a few weeks ago about uh, gentrification. And we talked about how there are a couple areas in Philly, well, there are a few areas in Philly who are, that are experiencing it in a very significant way. And, you know, life can come at you fast when your rent and your utilities and your other bills are increasing at a faster rate than your income. Right? And um, what I would say is that those among us who have extra resources, you should be willing to share what you have with those who are in need, just the way you would with a family member. You know, I really love the description of the early church in Acts. In Acts chapter 2, it says this it says, And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. My, uh, my city group does a dinner every week before the activity. And basically the way it works is that, and maybe some other city, a lot of other city groups probably do this too, but basically the, the way it works is that whoever has the time and the ability to provide food provides food, and whoever doesn't, you just come. No one's going to say, where's your food? You can't come, you can't eat, whatever. And we always have plenty to go around. Right? And that's the way things, you know, that's the way it usually works. Now, look, I understand it can, be, it can be a big challenge to share your needs when you're in the midst of people that don't seem to be struggling or don't seem to have financial challenges. And what I want to say is that if you're here today and that's you, if you're, if you're having a financial struggle, you should share that. And the reason why you should share that is because we as a church, City Light, we are committed to helping you. You know, one of, the, one, of the, um, one of the main things we do, obviously, is, is spiritual development and caring for people's spiritual needs, but we also care about your bodily needs as well. We care about your financial needs. We care about your health needs. We care about your mental health needs. Um, and so I would say that if you're, if you're struggling in any of those areas, you should talk to your city group leader or talk to an elder or there's actually on, if you have the Connect card, there's actually a box on the Connect card that says Request for Assistance. You can just check that box, fill out your information, drop it in the orange box in the back, and we'll be more than happy to, to walk with you in that. And on top of that, we actually have an entire team. We have a Mercy and Justice team that's dedicated to helping people with bodily needs. Um, so it's definitely something that's available for, for everyone, regardless of if you're a member. And just as an aside, we actually are looking for new members to add to that Mercy and Justice team. So if you have, uh, if you have any experience with social work, uh, or if you're a social worker, we could really use your gifts and talents. Uh, so if that's you, and, uh, and you think that you, know, you, you might want to commit to that, uh, you can just write social work on your Connect card, and you can also drop that in the orange box. Um, and we'll, and we'll, we'll definitely follow up with you. 
Now, I know some of you are sitting there thinking, all right, well, these are my issues. These are my problems. I don't want to project my pain onto others. I don't want to burden anybody else. You know, I think that's a common reaction or that's a common way to think of these things. But one thing that I've recently heard and been challenged with is the fact that God's desire is for people in the church to help you and to walk with you in the midst of those struggles. So by not sharing the, what you're going through with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're actually robbing your sister of the opportunity to serve you. You're robbing your brother of the opportunity to bless you, and you're robbing your community of the opportunity to help you. So what I would say, so a lot of times I think of the phrase, don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. I would sort of twist this a little bit and say, don't let pride be the enemy of a confession. And don't let, I don't want to burden anyone, be the enemy of a blessing. And hey, if that's not you, if you're happy and you know it and you really want to show it, and if you're looking for a service project, you can start with the people in your city group. (laughs) Um, You can start with the people in your city group. For those who are, you know, things are going well, we should be eager to love our brothers and sisters in need. Right? Jesus suffered the greatest inconvenience for the sake of love. And in the same way, we should be willing to inconvenience ourselves for our brothers and sisters in Christ. But what, what is it that stops us from doing it, doing that? Why aren't we jumping up to, to inconvenience ourselves for others? I know for me, to be honest, it, it's time. Right? I, I, tend to, I tend to fill up my schedule with so many activities that... Sometimes I just don't have the time to, uh, to help someone out on the fly. But then I want people to be available for me when I need help. When I went to L.A. to visit my friend, he cleared his whole calendar for like four days straight. And that was really a blessing for me because if you've ever been to Los Angeles, you'd know that it's very spread out and you have to drive to get everywhere. So I would have spent tons of money and tons of time trying to find all these different places but the fact that he was there and available to show me around was, was a huge blessing. And that's just the thing, you know, being available is part of being committed to a community. Make yourself available to care for and to love others in your community. And the cool thing about it is that if you're in a community where you know people and you're well known, it won't be a big announcement when something's going, when something's, you know, going wrong in your life. People will already know, and they'll already be asking you about it, and, you know, it'll just be a regular part of your rhythm. Um, and that's the, way, that's the way we should be living, and, and we should be demonstrating the love of Christ to each other by being committed to being available for them. All right, so the third idea is the idea of connection, your connection to your biological family. So I recently saw a Facebook post where a, uh, a woman from my old church, she tagged her daughter in a post that said this. It said, Did you know talking to your mother has the same effect as a hug and can help reduce stress levels? The sound of her voice releases oxytocin and is a great stress relief. You know, when I read that, I thought, hmm, you know, that that sounds reasonable, right? Like, okay, yeah, talking to your mom, that's a good thing. But of course, it's Facebook, so in the comments, people had something totally different to say. You know, so one person said in the comments, oh, well, you know, it depends on whose mother you're talking to, you know, or it depends on how much vodka she's had. Or someone else said, oh, man, when I talk to my mom, she she really gives me a headache. Or, you know, my blood pressure, my mom makes my blood pressure go up. 
And I'm like, man, these people are so negative. But then I was like, well, it is Facebook, so what are you going to do? <laughs> um, and I'm guessing some of you can relate to either sides of that, that post, right? You can relate to the positive or the negative side. But what I would say is that whether you're best friends with your parents or your health is at risk when you see your parents, you are called to love your, mo- your, uh, your mother and father, honor your mother and father. You know, we all know the verse that says, honor your mother and father, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the, in, uh, in the land, right? Um, but now, honoring your mother and father can include many different things. It could be, you know, being available, being emotionally present with them, being uh, listening to them, caring for them. But here, Paul specifically talks about financially providing for your relatives. And what he says here, he says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This is a very striking verse, because it's basically saying, if you don't provide for your relatives, you are proving that you're not, you don't actually believe, and you're refusing to do what you should as a Christian. I say you're refusing to do as you should as a Christian because earlier in these verses, he says that by, he says that by re- providing a return to your parents, you are doing what's pleasing in the sight of God, which basically implies that by not giving some return to your parents, you're not doing what's pleasing in the sight of God. And then I also say that it proves that you don't actually believe because in James chapter 2, it says this. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, it's dead. And in those days, there was, a, there was a particular issue that was happening in that place where uh, Jews and non-believers were commonly t- caring for their parents uh, the way you would expect, but there were Christians in the church who were not doing the same, and they were, bringing, they were bringing shame upon the church, and they were also proving to be poor representatives of Christ. And that's why Paul is saying here that by not caring for your parents, you're proving to be worse than a non-believer. Now look, I know that things have changed, and the way that people provide for their parents has changed. You know, in the, in the past, it was common for an elderly parent to live with their children, but now that's not so common, right? I also know that during the time of the Great Depression, uh, the folks who lived during that era, they were really great savers, but their children, well, maybe not so great. Right? And so now something we hear a lot about is about the fact that we've got this oncoming retirement crisis where the average American is entering retirement with less than $100,000 in savings. You know, it's, it's, really, it's really crazy what's happening there. And, you know, honestly, it's something that really sort of hits home for me and for my family. Um, so just a quick story. So when I was a kid, um, my father was the breadwinner of the family. And when I was in sixth grade, uh, he made the decision to leave the family behind to pursue other interests. Or you could say he took his talents to North Carolina. Uh, North Carolina, I don't know, but if you're from North Carolina, no offense. Um, but, he did, but either way, he did not come back. And what ended up happening was that um, my mom struggled to raise both me and my sister uh, on her income and, you know, receiving not very little help from him. 
And during the course of that, she ended up exhausting her entire 401k, and she ended up exhausting all of her retirement savings. So now we're at the point where my mother is getting older, her health is deteriorating, and um, her retirement situation is not really in line the way it should be. And so um, me and my mom, we don't really see eye to eye on a lot of things, and I would say I'm definitely on team high blood pressure. But when I consider the mercies of God and the fact that when I didn't see eye to eye with him, he chose not only to die for me, but also to provide for me in, an abund- in abundant ways every day, I feel as though I should be making some return to my mother. And so right now, that's something that I'm sort of brainstorming ways, I'm sort of brainstorming ways to do that in a loving and empowering way. And I would say that, you know, if that's your situation, choosing to provide for relatives when it's difficult, that is a way that you can give honor and glory to God. Now, in these verses, Paul does use the word relatives, which could include your, which does include your extended family. But what I would say is that your first commitment should be to your, your direct household, so your spouse if you have a spouse, or your children if you have children, and then it sort of ripples out from there. So parents, brothers, sisters, cousins, aunts, uncles, and then so on and so forth. Now look, for some of you, your family is on point, right? Your parents are doing really well. Maybe they retired early and they're getting ready to go on a a Viking cruise in the Mediterranean, or, uh, you know, your brothers and sisters are doing just fine. Maybe they're helping you out with rent. Maybe they're giving you money at Christmas to put into your Roth IRA. If that's you, if that's you and you're already financially independent, I would challenge you today to use the surplus that you have to bless your brothers and sisters within the household of God. So in, in John 14, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Here Jesus is telling us that we have a place in God's household. Scripture also says that Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. So regardless of what your earthly family is like, Jesus went to the cross so that you could be brought into the household of God, so that you could be brought into a new family, and so that you could be brought into a new life. And just as God has done for us, we should be eager and willing to do for one another. So I would say, I would challenge you today and say that think about the person that you serve with on a serving team. Think of the people in your city group and think of the people to your left or think of the people to your right. Start thinking of them as your family and receive the freedom that comes from getting to know them in a deeper way while sacrificially loving them. Let's pray. Lord, in your word, you say that it is not good for man to be alone. And I thank you, Lord, that you remedied that situation by creating a helper and by uh, giving us the opportunity to live in community. And I thank you, Lord, that your desire is to enact your will through community.
God, I pray that we would understand that. I pray that our hearts would be captured by that, that we would be captivated by that, and that would be something that we would strive to live for. I pray, Lord, that you would lead us to prioritize our Christian community so that we can receive the blessings that you have in store for us through our communities. God, we just thank you, Lord, that that that's something that you've set up and that you've orchestrated, and I just pray, Lord, that you would enable us to seek that out. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.